Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about tiling, and especially tiling on rented land. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on agronomically on your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on X, Brian Hefty, or AgPhD Media. All right, so tiling on rented ground. I just want to step back for a second here and talk to you about something we discovered on our farm many years ago. There was tile on in just a couple of spots put in a really long time ago. And here was how we found one of the pieces. So we were going to do some tiling work on one of our landlord's ground. And this was the son of the person who'd owned the ground for a, a real long time, like almost 100 years. And anyway, I, the son goes, hey, yeah, when you guys are doing that tiling work, just watch out by that tree in the low ground. There's a spring there. And I go, a spring? We don't have springs around here. This is South Dakota. Come on. Eastern South Dakota, there are no springs. And so anyway, he's like, well, just watch out. You know, I, I used to drink water out of that spring when I was a kid and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, there's no spring. So I had our guys digging around a little bit. Sure enough, what did we find? Old tile line. And I don't know where it was supposed to go or how it got stopped there or whatever happened. I, we didn't go any further to, you know, dig around. But anyway, it turned out that it was just an old clay tile line from about 100 years ago. And I told the landlord that. And he's like, what? I was drinking tile water. And I go, don't worry. Tile water is some of the best, cleanest water you can ever get. But yeah, there, as I suspected, there was no spring. It was just old tile line. But anyway, Here's where my story is. So if you go back 100 years ago or more, a lot of these people had no money, but they had time. And so what they would do is they would dig the tile lines in by hand, and they'd go six feet deep. Now, modern tiling in South Dakota, I do not want anybody putting the tile in at six feet deep, other than you got certain spots, you know, that you got to go through a hill, whatever. But the reason why I want to be shallow is I don't want the water table clear down to six feet in any spot in the field. Well, back a hundred years ago when they had no money, they didn't have the money for the tile lines. So, I, I mean, they bought as little as they could. Well, you can put fewer lines in if you go deeper. Then it pulls water from further away. Okay. But anyway, here's what I want to come back to. They dug these lines in by hand, six feet deep in the ground. Now, I just want you to think about how desperate you are to get tile in the ground. If you're willing to go dig holes, lines, I, I, I mean, and for a long ways, at six feet deep in the ground. <laughs> My point is, if you stop and think about that for just a second, think about what uh, I mean, some of the people who farmed that land, you know, however many, three generations ago or four, whatever it's been, how valuable they knew tile was. And today, honestly, putting tile in is pretty easy compared to back then. Um, we got tile plows. We have great tractors. We use GPS guidance. We even have control systems on the tile plow so it maintains grade it does an amazing job so we can put tile in super accurately quickly yeah it costs a little bit of money but it's not that bad so 
most people now have figured out, oh, yeah, I have to have great drainage. That is number one. I mean, it's the most important thing in ground. Have to have good drainage. But what do you do about rented ground? Well, here's what we've done with our landlords. Three different scenarios. Okay, so one is I've gone to landlords and I said, look, here's here's the situation. You can see the issues we've had over the years. We would like to tile. We would like you to pay for the tile and we'll immediately pay you more rent. And usually I get a, what? You want to pay me more rent? Yes. What you put into that, we'll pay you a percentage of that every year and we're paying you more rent. So it's a guaranteed return on investment. You got your money in the bank making not much over the last 15 years, or you can put it into your ground, which immediately makes it more valuable, and I'm going to pay you more rent. And almost everybody went for that. Next situation was I had one landlord who said, look, I'm I'm with you. I think this is a great idea. I know it would make my ground better. And so, I I mean, that's all nice. It's just I'm on a fixed income, and I can't afford to pay for the tile. So could we work something else out? And I said, absolutely. How about a long-term lease? We fix the rent and then we pay to put the tile in. And she was good with that. The third scenario I did with a couple of landlords where um, basically they paid for the tile, we paid for some of the labor, and then we just, well, all the labor, because uh, it was us putting in ourselves. And then we just worked out some kind of reduced rent deal over a period of years. However you do it, the key thing is communication with the landlord. So notice that in all three scenarios, I had a discussion with the landlord and several times it wasn't exactly what I had initially proposed, especially in this, oh, let's share the cost thing and maybe a little reduced rent over a period of years. But at the end of the day, we just want the tie on the ground because then we know, number one, we should have more yield. And number two, and here's the big thing, we wanted more consistency because this up and down thing, it's its not real great. We have bills to pay every year, and I don't like years where we're losing money on certain fields. And then on top of that, the, the one landlord, and it, it took me the longest to work with her. It took, I'm going to say, three years before we got things finally done because she wasn't convinced that this was the way to go. And, and her project in her defense, it was going to be expensive. Um, It was the poorest drain field that we have that we've ever farmed. And it's one of the poorest drain fields in our county. It's terrible. So it was going to take some investment. But anyway, over time, we just kept talking and talking and and eventually got to where it needed to be. And after she passed away, uh, actually, my brother Darren bought the ground from her two sons and had to pay way more than we ever would have dreamed that ground would have been worth without tile in it. But once you get that tile in the ground, now everything can get going. It was high pH before we were able to lower the pH. It was uh, unproductive. We were able to fix that. But the biggest thing is we we then got to have a lot more fun because we didn't have to go keep replanting, replanting, replanting. That was the number one field on average. We replanted part of it two or three times per year. No more of that. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about tile next. Hey, Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, got to take care of my STDs. Your what? My soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it, and I can't seem to get rid of it. Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contans WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks, Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contans WG. 
You've done it, your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about tiling and especially a slant on tiling rented ground. How should you handle that and how do other people handle it? First on the show, we got Tim Kilmer with us. He's out of South Dakota and uh, Tim's got a lot of experience with tiling. Tim, what I'm curious about is do you do much work on rented land or do you find that most of, of the stuff you're doing is just on owned ground? We are doing a lot of stuff on rented ground, and what we're finding, though, is they want to do as little as possible to make the renter happy. Yep. And I don't, and I don't, I'm having to tell the the landlord, I said, is you, you can do this, and yeah, we're going to get some water off, but um, it's not going to necessarily solve your problem. And it, a concept that um, the Europeans use, I don't know if you're familiar with, Brian, is like mole drainage, yep. whether yep. you could run some moles across. Um, if you do some wider spacing, um, that's a concept that I'm playing with right now that uh, we're, I've got mole plows available that Basically, if, if they want to do wide spacing, I'm telling them if they've got a clay soil, if they can mole across those laterals to help close that spacing up. But they're going to ha- it's not a long-term deal. It's going right. to they got to they got to redo it and redo it and redo it. So that that's one option that they can do on rented ground that yeah, it's going to cost them some fuel. But they're, you know, a mole can stay open in, you know, three to five years though, if you put it at a good depth. But we got to put the tile at a known depth so that the mole plow goes over the top of it and we don't hit them. Yeah. So that's that's the other thing about that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Uh, so 
in terms of getting this done, you said doing as little as possible and the renter is still happy. How about the reverse of that, where the renter's going in saying, hey, I want to get this done. And just like in my case, I'm willing to pay you more rent. Do you run into that very often where you're talking to between the, the renter and the landlord together and, and putting together a true plan to actually fix things? Generally, if the land, if the renter's paying me for it, they need to have a, an eight or a ten year lease yeah. in place that they get their money back. Because otherwise, that's it's really, I think it would be a bigger risk if they don't have an eight yeah. or a ten year lease in place. Then that's 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 pretty risky behavior. Yeah. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. The, the benefit to the landlord is enormous, and if the renter can't recapture some of that money that they spent, um, yeah, that's, that's probably not a wise investment. Uh, so what other tips do you have for us, Tim, just maybe tiling in general, anything else that's getting discussion out in the countryside this fall? The, I would say, again, what we talked about the last time I was on, even if it's in a drought, consider it. It's a great time because... As a tiling contractor, if I don't have to fight the mud, I can give a better price. Definitely. Yep. Good. And and don't don't wait till it's a crisis. Let's let's do this when it's dry. Yeah. No, I agree with you. All right, that's Tim Kilmer. He's with Horsepower Drainage. Tim, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate you being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. All right, we're going to head over to Minnesota next. Got Noah Nelson on with us. He's with Nelson Ag Drainage. Hey, Noah, how are things in Minnesota today? Oh, not too bad. Uh, a little cool and windy, but we're plugging away here. So was harvest a little bit earlier than normal in your area? I know it certainly was in mine. Yeah, I'd say we were We're probably a couple weeks at least ahead of schedule here. It's, the beans come in a little slower, the corn... Corn seemed like it was a little faster, but um, yeah, for the most part, I'd say a couple weeks. So that's given you a couple more weeks to get your tiling done after uh, after harvest, right? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, winter won't move in too quick. All right, so today, Noah, we're just talking about tiling on rented ground. Any advice you have for whether it's the landlord or the person renting the ground in situations like this? Um, you, you know, to be honest with you, I would, I, I, probably the best recommendation I would have is just to make sure everybody's working together yeah. between the contractor and the landlord and the renter and make sure everybody's on the same page and, uh, just makes things a lot smoother. Okay. So what, what could get off the page? I mean, where, where do the problems come in? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I've, I've had really good luck the whole time I've done this, but, okay. um, you know, where I can see issues happening is, is if, uh, maybe acre discrepancies or, um, just rental agreements, you know, if somebody wasn't, you know, was expecting a, a five to seven year lease or something like that. Sure. For the for the tiling, and you know they the landlord thinks, well, I'm only going to give a two to two or three year lease. I mean that's that would be one issue, and uh, 
you know, just uh, the amount of footage and the worst spots of the field yep. and, you know, different things like that. Yeah, so let's talk about that real quick. In the bad areas in field, so the ground's really heavy, it sits low. How close together are you running in some of your areas? How close are those tile lines? Uh, for the most part, in our area, it's 40s is about the closest. Um, sure. We have had some that we've been splitting 60s um, yep. that were put in years ago. and But for the most part, you're in pretty heavy ground, uh, 40 is about the closest we'll do on a new system. Mm-hmm. I have had jobs that have I've bid in other areas that have just super tight ground, and we've we've been as low as 20 foot space. Yeah, yep. I've got a little, just a small amount of 20 foot on our own farm, just in a couple low areas. I, I didn't want to put inlets in or anything like that, and so that was my solution. There was go 20s. So when you're talking about the the renter and the landlord conversation. Uh, is it typically the the renter that's driving that then to say, look, we got to have a minimum of this in there, or is it usually the landlord driving the conversation saying, well, look, I only want to spend this much? Um, you know, that can go both ways, I guess. It, um, I've dealt with landlords that just they just want it done right. Yep. Um, I I think the the renters for the most part just want it done right. Um, and you know, I, I'd say, but a lot of times it just depends on whose, whose money, the, or whose pockets the money's coming out of, uh-huh. you know, to begin with. So. Yep. so have you, I know it's been dry for the last three years in, well, a lot of the Dakotas and Minnesota. How has business been? I mean, are a lot of guys cutting back in the tiling cause they go, well, it hasn't been needed the last couple of three years. Or are guys using this as kind of an opportunity to get ahead on things? Well, you can get into some of these areas you may not have gotten into two or three years ago. I, I would say the latter is definitely true. We've uh, we've been seeing a lot more guys wanting to wanting to get done get things done that they they haven't been able to. And especially we come off a of 2019 right into three yeah. really dry years. And uh, guys, 2019 really sticks out in guys' mind right yep. now. And uh, so it's just, uh, it's inevitable. We're going to have another year, maybe not that bad, but we're going to have another year that's that's super wet. And uh seems like we, every few years, usually we, we have more wet years than dry years. But yeah, uh, so yeah it's, I think that's the driver. And then the, the other side of it is too, is the, you know, commodity prices have been decent the last couple of years here, and you guys got a little bit of money to play with, and it's uh, definitely a good place to spend it. Yep, that's for sure. Tile is a good investment. Well, again, we've been talking with Noah Nelson with Nelson Ag Drainage. Noah, thanks for the time today. We love having you on the show. Yeah, thank you. You bet. All right, we're talking tiling just a little bit here on the show today, but we've also got to get to some questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll do that in just a little bit as well. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. 
Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you with the Lexion Combine built by Kloss. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Just talking about tiling in rented ground. If you've got any questions for us, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, we're heading to central Illinois next. Got Jeremy Miners on with us. He's with Agrium over there. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today? Doing great. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. All right. So we're talking about tiling and especially tiling on rented ground today. So what advice do you have for our listeners in regards to that? Well, um, I guess I'll speak to the uh, the farmer here. So the person that's renting. Um, recommendation that I have is uh, when you come to your landlord to talk about the idea of tiling, it's always good to have a couple of different options in your pocket. So uh, as uh, folks were saying before, some, some landlords want to spend as little money as possible and yep. get the biggest bang for their buck. Yep. So we can call that like the, the Ford Escort plan. But 
we know as farmers, we also want the best. So yep. bring the Cadillac along too. You might be mm-hmm. surprised. Yep. Um, what do you see though in a lot of cases? Are people trying to go cheaper or do you find most of the landlords want to get it done right when they're doing it? That, that's a mixed bag. Uh, so from our experience, if the, if the landlord has a pretty stable uh, situation in terms of the property rights. So it's, you know, one owner, it's been passed down from generation to generation. They own quite a few acres and they're looking to make it into an investment property or keep it as an investment property. They usually will go for, uh, you know, making the system as good as possible yep. and plan for the future. Yeah. However, there are a lot of situations where the the property might be in common property even, or it's really just kind of sticking a Band-Aid on there until it goes to market. Yeah, I'm with you because we've had several situations too where it's multiple owners. I've got a couple, well, several right now, where we're renting ground and, oh, it's a, it's a family. And so you, you got to get everybody in the family to buy in if we're going to make a change, like putting tile in the ground. So it does take a little bit of effort. Yeah. And advice for the, the farmer that's when he's looking at all of his different rented ground options, keep that in mind. Uh, it might not be the field that needs the drainage the most, but think about how much time you're going to be spending trying to talk to folks to get everybody on board on the same plan. Yeah, and that's one of the things, too, between uh, approvals that you might need out of NRCS and then working with the landlord. I've had to work with the highway departments and many others. I I mean, I spent like three years of my life working on getting approvals for all our land, working with everybody, talking to all the neighbors, everything. That's what takes the time. Putting the tile in, I mean, in a lot of cases, we can go out and dial a field in just a few days and we're all done. Yeah, and it's it's relatively stress free when you're putting tile in. Nobody's out there bothering you. <laughs> but when you're trying to negotiate, wow. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So, anything else that's happening in the tile industry in general right now, Jeremy? Any other big topics? Well, you know that's always a great question. Um, I think this year, I mean, there's there's been quite a bit concern about what happens with tile during the dry years. And what you were saying at the very beginning, Brian, in terms of don't get your tile too deep because, you know, you don't want to pull your water table down that far, uh, yeah. particularly if it's kind of droughty. You want that relatively close to the surface. That way that capillary action will always be recharging your ground. So I think this year, more than others, might be a lesson to keep the tile a little bit shallower. We started doing a lot of tile work on our farm in 2007, and since then we've had several drought years. 2012 was the worst, but these last three years have not been good either. And we still see that our best yields are in our tiled fields and right over our tile lines typically because we always have some water in the spring to get rid of. we got snow melt and everything, and if we can keep the water table down right away when we're establishing that crop, that's the key thing for us. And, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, it's it, – I just don't want that water table down at six feet, even in areas in my field. I want it at about three feet, and then usually, yeah, that capillary action is enough. So 
I, I guess I'm a big proponent of that. Now, that's not everywhere, though. And that's one of the things we have people listening all over the United States and Canada. And so if you're listening today and you go, well, Brian said I got to be three feet. No, <laughs> some areas you get way more rain than we do. I mean, literally these last three years total, we've probably had 40 inches of rain, maybe maybe 50, but I don't think so. I think it's more like 40 in three years. That's not much. You might have gotten 40 last month where you farm. So every area is a little bit different and every system needs to be right for that field, your area, everything else. So I guess that's that's a big thing. I, I just I, I got to make sure we, we uh, throw that out there, Jeremy, is every area is different. Everybody's got different wants and needs. As a designer, you're 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 stealing our sales pitch right now. <laughs> That's our philosophy. <laughs> All right. So at Agrum, what are maybe a couple other quick keys for us on designing a a tile system, or or what? Where do you kind of start with a farmer? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that we always like to do is find out what the the needs are and the desires. So in the case of a rented ground situation. Um, if they know that like their landlords on a fence, we can start off by first talking about what they're looking for in terms of, Hey, uh, do you want a couple of different systems? Do you have a price range you're working with? Uh, but once we, once we get down what the folks are looking for, or at least kind of an area where we're, they're looking, uh, next step is you got to get that topo. Uh, LIDAR is a definite option right now for getting, uh, topographical information and we have to get your soil information and that precipitation information. Yep. Uh, once we get that, all that information put together, we can put together a prelim for you. And then the next step is discussion. All right. Again, that's Jeremy Miners. He's with Agrim. That's A-G-R-E-M. If you want to check out the work that they're doing. Jeremy, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. It was great talking with you, Brian. Have a wonderful day. You bet. You too. All right, so just to wrap things up real quick on this this whole tiling on rented ground, I, if you're in this situation, you rent ground, and you know it needs to be tiled, I, believe me, I know that sometimes it's a challenge when you have to go in and make a presentation to your landlord because you don't want to get them upset or anything, and then you lose the ground, but you know that it would benefit them, and it would certainly benefit you as well if you can get better drainage out in that field. And I just want you to think about this. You invest a lot of money in your ground, in your rented ground. You're putting fertilizer out there. You're putting high-priced seed out there, most likely. You are spending a lot of time out in that field. You're spending money on the weed control, the insect control, the disease control. But the sad thing is none of those things are going to pay you as well if you have poor drainage in that field. And also, almost every magazine you read anymore, almost every, uh, let's say, farm gathering or anything else where they have speakers, they're always talking about soil health anymore, right? That's one of the biggest topics that's come along, especially in the last five or 10 years, okay? Soil health. I will promise you, if you have poor drainage, there is no way you can make that soil health great. Can you make it better? Sure. But without great drainage, you can't have consistent oxygen in the, in the soil. And that's what you need. You need air in that soil to keep your soil life going. Now, sure, I mean, there are some anaerobic bacteria, fungi, they can survive in the water, all right? But let's face it. 
a lot of the things that you want in your soil, they need air. And if they don't have, like I say, consistent air, you got a real problem because there are a lot of microbes that literally could die if they're sitting in water for three or five days. I, I mean, so in just one week out of the year, every year, or even every two or three or four years, and that's the problem we used to run into in our farm, we'd have areas in fields that get hit every year. But some of our fields, like full fields, I mean, we'd have a drainage problem, a serious drainage problem, once every two, three, four, maybe five years, whatever. Well, when you solve that, now you're not constantly going back to zero again every few years. It's back to starting over, starting over, starting over. I want to build the thing up. I want to make my soil health better, get better for the long term. And that's the big advantage you have when you get that tile on the ground and you do it right. So, yeah, it's a big help to the landlord, big help to the renter. I'm a super huge proponent of tiling when it's done right. Stay tuned. We're going to get to the Yag PhD mailbag coming up next. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its corn head should be the same especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife rollers reduce trash. And aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. When it comes to combines, capacity and cost keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss Combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Trion 740. Learn more at Kloss.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. 
Case IH, built by farmers. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question today comes from Brandon. He says, hi guys, wondering what is the maximum organic matter percentage you figure for nutrient release? So my question specifically is in heavy peat soils with 8 to 10% organic matter, should I still be figuring 20 to 30 pounds of release for nitrogen? So that'd be in total like 160 to 200 pounds at a minimum. Um, and then 32 to 40 pounds of P, 16 to 20 pounds of sulfur. Uh, or what do you recommend for high organic matter soils? Brandon, this is a great question and it is something we have never specifically addressed, nor have we studied this. And I don't know anyone else who has studied this because I have never seen any research data on that. So let me step back first for everybody listening, just so you understand. When organic matter mineralizes each year, there is a release of nutrients, nitrogen, phosphate, so nitrate, phosphate, sulfate, okay? So you're going to get roughly, we'll always say in our area. Now this varies depending on where you're at. So the further north you are and the colder you are, you're going to get less. If you're warmer, you may get a little bit more, okay? Uh, So at a minimum, we're going to say 20 pounds of nitrogen, but on the high side, some years we'll get 30 pounds out of every percent of organic matter. So if I had 5% organic matter soil, that means 100 to 150 pounds of free nitrogen in my region here. Now, if you have poor drainage, it's also going to be worse. And there are some other things that can make this worse. Okay. So I'm not saying this is a for sure thing, but at least in our, our region, this is kind of what we figure. And then you got free release of phosphate and sulfur too. But here's the thing. If you've got super high organic matter, his question is, do we still get that much release out of it? Um, Brandon, honestly, I think you probably would, but the problem is what I just brought up was drainage. And in those heavy peat soils, if you were going to tile it, let's just say, you might have to have tile every 15 or 20 feet apart in order to have good drainage and have the right amount of air in that soil because you need the air for the mineralization to be just like normal. So in that heavy peat soil, I'm going to assume that we're not going to get as much release, but I don't know because we've never studied that. So my advice to you would be just start studying it a little bit and see what you get. And you might go, well, how do I study that? If it's me, I'm probably going to put on a small, I'm going to test. I'm going to test in advance of the year. Then I'm going to put on, um, let's not a ridiculously high amount of nitrogen, but I'm going to put on probably roughly what I think the crop's going to need minus uh, maybe half the amount of nitrogen you think might come out. And then I'd continue testing that soil all through the season and just see, okay, well, what do I have for nitrogen release? And then once you figure the nitrogen release, then you'll probably be able to figure the phosphorus and the sulfur too. And nitrate testing is very inexpensive. It's like five bucks a sample. So that's what I would do. But yeah, in the beginning, I would say I'm probably, if you have eight or 10% organic matter, I'm probably only figuring the release I would get out of 5% organic matter. And I'm serious. I I do think that it's the drainage, the air that is probably going to cause you more problems and cause it not 
to give you that full release that you might expect. All right, next one's from Kevin in Wisconsin. He says, I just finished soybean harvest, and I had a lot of weed escapes this year, velvet leaf and lamb's quarters especially. Are there any herbicides that could be applied this fall to give me a head start keeping these weeds back in the spring before I apply my spring pre-emerge? Well, Kevin, velvet leaf and lamb's quarters are both summer annual weeds. They are not winter annuals. So can you put stuff on this fall that will give you a residual into the spring? Absolutely. We do on our farm. Um, every year. So it, like in soybeans, the yellows and so that, uh, that'd be like trifluralin or prowl, uh, they will last well into the spring. So will Valor or Authority. In corn, you can use one of the group 15s. You can, could actually technically use a group 15 in soybeans too, although I don't prefer that or recommend that. But I mean, there are several things you could use. You also could use an HPPD this fall. Again, I I personally wouldn't do that, but that is an option if you say, look, I got to make sure I have amazing control in the spring. So, but yeah, on our farm, we're using some group 15s this fall going into corn, and that will help hold back lamb's quarters at least. Not going to do a real great job on velvet leaf. That's where the HPPD would come in. But otherwise, it's just having a good burn down in the spring and then staying after those weeds when they're small rather than before they get big post-emerge. All right, next one here is from Aaron. He says, I've been hearing you talk this fall about your cover crops following corn silage. I was wondering what you planted, what the seeding rate was, and how you got it done in a timely manner. Also, is there any measurable ROI from this practice, and what are the plans in the field for next year? Okay, so Aaron, whether we put a cover crop in, well, regardless of which cover crop we're doing, we are planting corn or soybeans in the spring. So I don't care if it's corn or soybeans. What I do care about is that it was silage this year because the problem is with silage, we've taken so much of the residue away and we don't protect our soil very well. Following our corn, I mean, in a lot of cases, we're raising 200 plus bushel corn. Um, This year we're down a little bit, but anyway, if it's 200 plus bushel corn, I got lots of residue there and I don't usually worry about big soil erosion issues. Uh, if I leave that residue into the spring, or at least some of that residue into the spring. But it's a problem after silage. And the other problem after silage is we do it so early. I mean, that soil has to sit there unprotected for a long time. So what we do is we have a a drill that will go in the field, and we've done it with... uh, a floater and tilled it in too. You can do it that way also. We've done it both ways. But otherwise, like right now, we just have uh, one of our guys in the farm running the drill right behind the silage cutters. We have somebody else, the dairy is cutting the silage. So our people on our farm aren't cutting the silage. So we're busy spreading fertilizer, uh, putting this cover crop in, doing things like that. Um, and, and some other deep tillage, reducing compaction, all that kind of stuff. So yes, we're seeding oats. And the reason why I like oats rather than rye I don't want anything growing into the spring. And the reason why is because our area is so dry. If we were in a wetter area, then I might want something growing in the spring, but here I can't have it or it ruins my next crop. So I got to have something that dies off for sure in the fall, and I really don't want to have to spray. So oats is really nice that way. Is it going to be a measurable ROI? No, definitely not. Uh, But if I have reduced soil erosion over time, then I feel like that's going to pay. And that's really what I'm after. The other thing is when you stop and think about it, you're probably going, wait, if you're cutting silage, you're losing a lot of organic material and possibly organic matter. Yes, but if we're putting some manure back, not necessarily every year, but at least every other year, and we're getting a cover crop out there 
every time after silage and we get a couple months growth on that, I mean, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. So we'll see how this pans out over the long haul. We've only been doing this for a few years. So once we get 10, 20 years down the road, I can tell you a lot more. But that's kind of why we're doing what we're doing. All right, next one is from Frankie who says, uh, and she had a comment here after our honey vine milkweed segment, uh, saying, please don't kill off any more food of the monarch butterfly. Frankie, one of the challenges we have in most of the world is we have an economic system where if we don't, as a business owner and a farmer, if we don't make money, um, eventually we go bankrupt and then we got a real problem in our country. So I I guess I'll put it to you this way. Um, You can certainly buy ground and you can raise all the milkweed you would like to. You can also put it in your landscape, uh, around your house. I, I mean, I, I don't care what you do on your ground. The challenge is when it's my ground and I'm trying to raise corn or soybeans or oats or wheat or whatever, if I have milkweed out there, it hurts my income. And we do a lot of things for the wildlife. We do a lot of things for charity. And if all of a sudden I'm going broke, I can't do any of that. So I I get it. You want food for the monarch butterfly, but there are all kinds of people out there. Quite frankly, everybody who owns a house almost anywhere could absolutely put milkweed in their their garden, in their landscaping, anything. You absolutely can do that, yet I see almost no one doing that. So I'd flip this around and say, all right, so my advice is all the people in town where you're not trying to raise a crop, where it's going to hurt you, um, that's where we probably need to push more milkweed. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. (sighs) Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. 
Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. back to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Brian Hefty. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. And before I get to this next question, and you'll see where I'm going with this, I just, I think about growing up on the farm in the 80s. So I was in high school and in college in the 80s, and times were really tough. And even in the early 90s, well, all through the 90s, um, there just wasn't a lot of potential there. I remember when I got out of college, and our goal was 130 bushel corn, and we were hoping for $2. Well, that's $260 an acre that we were hoping to get to. Okay? And we often kind of joked about, well, you know, some of these guys that are raising these specialty crops and boy, if I, if I was bringing in a thousand dollars an acre, or $1,500 an acre, I could, I could really invest money in my ground and make it better. In the last 10 years, we've had some tremendous opportunities on the farm and I just feel super blessed and thankful to be in agriculture at this kind of time because timing is everything, as you know, and growing up on the farm in the eighties, well, I'll just put it this way. A lot of my friends, their dads told them, um, yeah, you can do anything you want. You're super smart, talented, everything else. You can do anything you want with your life except come back to the farm. We don't want you to come back to the farm because we don't think there's any future. And it's so it's been so refreshing in the last 10 years to see a lot of young people come back into the farm operations and families to be excited about farming and excited about the future that there is for their kids and their grandkids to be on the farm. And so the last few years, I mean, we've had a couple of really good years on the farm where there was a lot of gross income and you start running the math and you go, okay, well, like on our farm, I'm really counting on our best fields are going to be 250 bushel corn. Last year we had $7 corn. This year we had five that you could, or, or more that you could lock in. So, you're going, whoa, this is way over $1,000 an acre. And so we will immediately put tile on the ground when we buy land now. We'll fertilize and literally get everything up to speed all in one shot. And we just go, okay, um, we think that we can earn that back because we're going to get enough bushels out of that soon enough that it pays. All right, so 
Anyway, here's Mike's question. He says, I live in north central Oklahoma next to the Kansas line. And he's got a two-page email here. But I'm going to give you just a couple of quick things. Um, His dad would raise wheat and then it would just be grazed. Well, he says he's changed up the fertility program, made things better, and now he can get a wheat crop and graze stuff. He says, I'm in continuous wheat, conventional till, and I'd like to know what and when I should be using pre-emerge herbicides. Uh, So that's the, the gist of his question. I'll get to more of that in a second, but I just want to share some yields with you. So uh, in one of his fields in the last couple of years, it's been 50, 53 bushels. He's had another field where he says he's got a magnesium problem too much, and it's 20 or 22 bushels. And then on some river bottom ground, it was as low as 17 bushels a year ago. So this is where you go, all right, river bottom ground, that's where I'm thinking. And you can't, I mean, if we're talking, he said, he said here his yield goal is 60 bushel wheat. If we're only talking 60 bushel wheat, we cannot spend much and still make money. And even if you say, well, I'm going to pay this off over a period of years, you still can't spend much. There is just not enough income potential there. So I'm hoping that we can do better, uh, but we have to be really careful and judicious about how we spend our money. So would I put a little bit of tile in my river bottom ground? I sure would think about that. I'm not saying it's a definite because I haven't seen the soil test. I don't know the land, anything else. But my assumption is a little bit of tile in that river bottom ground would help. The other thing he says, he's had a lot of grass competition. And so how do you handle some of these grass issues? Well, there is Anthem Flex now or Zidua. So Zidua is would be that, that active ingredient. It's one of the components in Anthem Flex. Either way, that's a group 15, the Zidua. And we've never had that before in wheat. So that definitely is something to take a look at uh, that where, where you could start out pretty well. Okay, so that's one of the options. And you can spray that post-emerge early or late pre-emerge. You can't spray it before planting in in your area or in most regions of the country. Okay, there are only a few areas where you're labeled to spray prepare before, or, or I should say Anthem Flex before planting or Zidua before planting or right at planting. Usually you have to wait for that seed to germinate. So that's my advice for you on the Anthem Flex or Zidua, and that's pretty good. The other thing is just make sure you're burning down all the time. Roundup is very inexpensive now. And make sure you're starting clean always. If you're in no, if you end up going to no-till, otherwise conventional till, yeah, you're going to clean up the weeds there. So Roundup is is basically out if you're doing tillage. Um, the other two options that we talk about all the time, pre-emerge, are prepare and sharpen. And uh, Mike also listed here um, Olympus, Outrider, and Powerflex. So Olympus, Outrider, and Powerflex are winter wheat only herbicides and in my book i really only like those in continuous wheat now power flex could you rotate yes um, and really with all of them you can but you just got to be real real careful about what you're using so anyway one one comment he had here is um, I, i've been reading and rereading all these labels these herbicide labels and now i'm even more confused <laughs> okay I I get that. And especially when you're just really getting going and you're just taking over the farm from your dad and everything else, it can be a little confusing. So that's why we try to simplify this thing. All right. So to begin with, he says he's got some bindweed showing up in fields. Uh, What do you do with bindweed? 
Well, if it's me, I mean, the only the only choices I've really got here, okay, I've got Anthem Flex, i got Prepare, i got Sharpen. Sharpen's going to be the best on almost any broadleaf weed, but bindweed is a perennial. If you're truly talking bindweed and not some other uh, creeping uh, broadleaf weed, if it's actually field bindweed, that is a perennial. And so that's where Roundup is great. And same thing with Johnson grass that he lists here. So if it's me, after wheat harvest and before I seed my next wheat crop, I'm hoping that I get some regrowth on the bindweed and the Johnson grass, and I hit it hard with straight Roundup, and then that usually works out great. Okay? Shepherd's Purse and Henbit. That's where I love Sharpen. It's great on the winter annuals. You're going to be in excellent shape. And Prepare isn't too bad either. Prepare is very inexpensive, and you could actually actually tank mix that with Sharpen if you wanted to. So you definitely have some options. So anyway, if you've got more specific questions, let me know. Uh, and in terms of that fertility program overall, I'd just say if you want to send us your soil test, we'd be more than happy to look at that. But yeah, when you're when you're talking that kind of yield potential, 60 bushel on wheat, I mean, in some of these years where the wheat price may, may be depressed, you just have to be very wise about your choices on where your dollars are spent because we want to make sure you're making some money at the end of the year one way or the other. All right. And then our last question of the day comes from Ron in Wisconsin. He says, Palmer pigweed has arrived in our area in Wisconsin. Do you have a program to help us? Um, just I, I need some information so I can control next year's hopefully not serious outbreak. Uh, yeah, Ron, I just say this, the, this issue of Palmer pigweed is a little scary for a lot of people, but Palmer pigweed is almost an identical weed to water hemp. So if you know how to control water hemp, you know how to control Palmer pigweed. So here's the plan. This, this is the best you can do in my opinion. So if it's corn, you're going to start with a full rate of a group 15 and at least two ounces of sharpen, if not three. You start with that. Now you're in great shape. And then you follow post-emerge with status, a little bit of atrazine and Roundup. And if you want to throw a little more group 15 in there, you certainly can. That will wipe out your Palmer pigweed. In soybeans, I'm starting with the three pre's. That means a yellow, either trifluralin or prowl, plus metribuzin, plus either authority or valor. Then when I get early post, I'm coming with a group 15. Um, I don't care if it's Outlook, Zidua, Dual, Warrant, whatever you want to use. A group 15 plus Flexstar. That's my favorite. Now, you could go with Anthem Max if you want to. That gives you uh, Zidua plus Cadet. Um, but either way, you want a group 15 and a PPO early post. And then later on, you're going to come with whatever trait you're in. So um, Roundup probably isn't going to do it at all. But if you use Dicamba, 2,4-D, Liberty, something like that, depending on your soybean trait. So don't worry. Don't panic. There absolutely is a way to stop Palmer pigweed. If you need more help, let us know. But uh, I'm not that worried about it. It's just it takes a plan, and unfortunately it costs some money to get that thing under control. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Before we go, just want to say thanks to Alex running the controls for me today, producing the show. Uh, thanks to our guests earlier in the show, and thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions as well. Thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.